This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. This is a show about the most interesting people in stories, Mississippi. And we got a great show today just along those lines. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist with Mississippi Today. Our first guest this year, man, we just knocked it out of the park. I don't. It's going to go downhill from here. There's no way we can do any better. Great guest, Southern Poverty Law Center, Mississippi Director, Wakenya Clanton. She has elevated the definition of leadership in the last year in her activist work in response to, of course, the capital city water crisis. You may have heard about that. She's a proud graduate of Tougaloo College and a native of Canton, Mississippi, um, and also has a very proud dad, which we will touch on as well. She was recently named as one of the most influential African-Americans in the United States of America. She's on the Route 100 list where she is among other winners, which include Rihanna, which, by the way, if I remember correctly, you're above Rihanna on the list. That is a rock star move. Former First Lady uh, Michelle Obama, who is number one. Sorry, it's kind of hard to beat number one, but that was still pretty cool. We got Wakenya Clinton. She's going to be joining us to discuss the aforementioned as well as her life, her future plans. But first, I'd like to say a very happy new year. To my favorite producer in the whole wide world, Jermaine happy, Flood. Happy New Year to you, Marshall. Man, happy Murray. So you got all your resolutions down, right? Yep. See, my, my number one resolution is not to procrastinate. I have not done my resolutions. You haven't? No. I hadn't had time. So did you have a list of these? Uh, what, of my what of my resolutions? Yeah. No, no. I, I actually do have them in my head. I just haven't written them down yet. But I'm going to have them. Number one <laughs> is to have great guests and have a fantastic show and to be nice to you. How about that? That was You've you've accomplished that already within the first one minute of the show. I'm still working on Well, that's true. I have been awfully <laughs> nice to you. But I was giving you grief before the show. Right? So Because, you know, you have a thing with pickleball. Oh, yeah. Which is, you've got to listen to Next Stop Mississippi to understand that if reference. You, right. If you listen to the last episode of Next Stop Mississippi, you will understand the reference. But, right. um, yeah, we have we have a um, no-knowledge relationship right now with pickleball. Oh, now I <laughs> see. Now, that's why I am here to help today. This is a show. This is um, not talk radio necessarily. This is help you radio. Right. Because definitely. I learned how to play this weekend, and the Ramsey family played pickleball together oh yeah and so now i'm divorced and my kid hates me so no right. it, no it really uh it was a lot of fun uh, i learned about the kitchen which is a, basically it's like ping pong it's on on the tennis court but it's in a smaller zone yeah and it's similar rules to like ping pong you know it's got a bounce here there whatever yeah and but it's not fully like ping pong and the reason why i'm gonna say because this, it's got a bigger ball and you have bigger rackets and you're on a tennis court well you're you're still moving your legs Ping pong, your legs kind of stand still. They're not moving. Okay, did you watch Forrest Gump? <laughs> that man was all over the place. He was, but that was Forrest. You know, he could run. He could. But... Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> but ping pong is a little bit more still. This was, yeah, it's a hybrid between tennis and ping pong. You use a ping pong paddle, but you move your body like you're playing tennis. Now, I have, out in my car right now, I have two paddles and a ball. So if you want to do it, we can, we can you know. I need those for this Friday, though. If if I could hold those till Friday show, I'll have. I don't um, think the lovely Mrs. Ramsey would let go of them. 
This well, see, is I serious. A, no, no, we have a, fi- I have a, I have a 15 year old, great kid, love him. He's fantastic. <laughs> he's a rock star. Looks like my wife, so he's got hope. But I will tell you this you know, he's like most 15 year olds, he likes a screen. So right. we said we're going to do something to get him outside and get him working. And we did, and it was really a lot of fun. Okay, now for those of you who don't know, I had spinal surgery a couple years and ago. And he's playing pickleball this year. And I'm year. out there playing pickleball. So just letting you know that there are medical miracles out there. There is hope. And Marshall is that one. Yeah, no, I'm, no, seriously, on the New Year's resolution, obviously the show is uh, right up there at the top. And we're right. going to make sure we're going to have great guests. Oh, definitely. And I'm pumped about our guest today. Me too. Yeah. Well, so, but me too. I mean, she's top tier. She's sitting right next to Rihanna in, in the first lady. Oh, no, no, no. Former yeah. first lady. Are you kidding me? She's above Jennifer Hudson and Rihanna and Viola Davis. LeBron. She beat LeBron. What's he done lately? You know, I mean, come on. Not what she's done. No, obviously. And we're going to get to hear about that today. Before we get into that, though, you, you forgot to tell me your resolutions. Um, Whip me I, into shape? I have none. My, I mean, if I'm really resolutioning this year, it's all based on my mother. Just trying to get her to where she needs to be. So it's it's all my mom this That's year. That's beautiful. It's it's basically yeah. my mother and I this year. That's my resolution. Yeah, that's a good, very solid resolution. Yeah, I, I wish it was funnier or funner. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's my mom. I want her to be in the best health possible. Um, you know, she's getting up there in age. We can't keep everybody forever. But my resolution is to get her and I fit. Right. So that we are living our best possible lives this year. I'm going to a funeral today. Chuck Stinson, who was on WLBT for many years and was the head of Moira, uh, has passed away. And Chuck had a very, uh, just a tough virus. And he fought it for a couple of years and fought it with incredible, incredible zest and, and so much energy and love. And, you know, his wife, Regina, was a fantastic caregiver, um, just threw her heart and soul into this and he, and he lost his battle. And, um, I was just looking at my last text from him and, you know, and I think to me, and if we're going to get serious about our resolutions, my resolution is to live like Chuck did Mm -hmm. when he found out he was, his mortality was in play. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all obviously every day, we all, we all going to pass away. That's just one of the givens in life. But the end of the day is why do we need to face something like that before we start living? Right. And I want to help fight fear. You know, and, and live a very happy and great life full of gratitude this year. And that means loving my family and loving my guests on the show. And, you know, I, I would say loving you, but I think that's an HR <laughs> violation. So I'm not going to say that. I think that's a song as well. But yeah, <laughs> of course, it's a song. But then we're going to get into sappy love songs. We don't do that on the right. show. We're, we're not into but sappiness. But it's going to be a great But year. I mean, like I said, you know, Chuck and, and you know, I had another friend that passed away too. So bottom line is, you know, you just want to, you just realize, okay, mm-hmm. we got a chance today. We got mm-hmm. this life. Let's, let's enjoy it and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the good thing is DeMar Hamlin, you know, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Was well, that not incredible? Thank goodness for the miracle of him. Okay. And the miracle of him, I love seeing his smile just on the Instagram, right. you know, the picture and everything. And I was trying to think when that moment those prayers were answered is when the trainer ran out onto the field and gave him CPR. Yeah. What an amazing story that yeah. was, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I've decided when I have my first heart attack that I'm going to make sure that I have a trainer very close. Right. Assistant trainer, too, to be able to right. give you CPR. But what a great story. Because, I mean, I watched it. I, you probably watched it. I mean, I was watching that game, and I was just like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I played seven years. And, I mean, I've seen people get injured, and I remember seeing people get hauled off. Yeah. And I was sitting... And those players and the fact that, you know, at that moment they realized, oh, no, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was so hard to watch them because, I mean, I've kind of been in that situation even in high school, you right. know, and, and but never anything like if you wonder if he's going to live or not. Right. And, 
you know, I've had friends that have had heart attacks. That is not easy to come back from. Yeah. And so what a miracle for him to that be was, on that. So, that was. Go Buffalo, too. They they won yesterday. So Yeah. Any place uh, did you, you, you live know. any place where it snows that much, you got to pull for them. Right. I yeah. mean, it was good stuff. I mean, Miami gets warm there all the time. You know, it was it's easy. good stuff. Yeah. Was yeah, good 2023 stuff. is going to be a good year. It's going to be a fantastic year because we're going to make it that year. way. Right. Yeah. And you know how we're going to start? Yeah. Great guest. I knew it. Ah, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's called Segway, folks. There right. you go. And that's how we do it here. All right. Well, <laughs> shall we jump right into it? I think so. Without further ado, like a welcome back onto the show, Ms. Wakinya Clanton. Happy New Year. Man, I tell you Happy what, you had show. a good 2022. I did. I did. I had a fantastic 2022, and I'm, I'm expecting, right, I'm already off to a great start with a fantastic 2023 um, as well. So I am, uh, and it starts with you, so you're my first day <laughs> back. This is great. Um, just coming off a really relaxing weekend, and now I'm really ready to get back into it. So. I know you, you've... you've probably got your only vacation of the whole year over the last weekend so that was really nice you were telling me about a little bit i now have vacation envy yeah um it's you know i believe that you know rest is revolutionary yes but also when you do this type of work there is a responsibility that comes with that and sometimes that comes at a sacrifice right oftentimes it comes at sacrifice and you know um this was worth it. It was worth taking, you know, delaying rest for the work that needed to be done here in Jackson. So really I'm, excited. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm just absolutely terrible about this. I'm always thinking, well, I got something to do. I got something to do. I'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I got to get up and get after it. So good for you for recharging your batteries. Yeah, I had to. But we are also very much twins in that way. Um, my team will tell you I am a round the clock worker. Like I'll get up, you know, at five o'clock in the morning and I'll just be on emails or trying oh, to get things that, organized. You're, yeah. yeah. You're that person. Yeah. I'm yeah. that person. I really am. And, um, and I think it's because you realize how much happens the need. and the, the need of a day. And you also can't determine your day oftentimes, right? Yeah. You can plan, you can schedule, but in the, the type, the work of rapid response, things happen instantly and you have to be able to be in a position to respond to that. And so would you have it any other way though? Could Absolutely. you see you working a nine to five boring job? No, I, I, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> nine mm. to five. I get bored so easily. Um, and I think that is because I know there's so much work to be done. And yeah. so if I, you know, if it's r- rigid in that way, I'm not going to, I'm not going to perform well in it. I need, I think, I don't know if I necessarily need it, but I perform best in situations like that yeah. because I think it requires a sense of urgency, but also people who are forwardly thinking and always thinking about how you can make change happen in real time. And I'm one of those people. I don't want to bury the lead here. Congratulations <laughs> on the Route 100 Most Influential African Americans in the Nation honor. What Thank incredible, you. Thank incredible you so list that was, too. Good yeah. I, I mean, I was completely shocked. And it was so funny because... I found out about it through a friend. I found out that I was on the list through a friend. No way. They don't, like, call you up, you know? No. It was so, I'm telling you, it's the most spontaneous thing for you. Did you think your friend was pulling your chain? I did. I told her she she was wrong. I said, girl, I'm not on the list. (laughs) I was, like, so serious. She's like, no. She texted me. The way it happened was she texted me. She says, "Uh, congratulations on the route. I said, what? She said, the Route 100, you're on the list. I said, girl, I'm not on the list. I said, I don't have no email. I don't have anything. Like, yeah. you know, I was like, she's like, no, you're on the list. So I'm like, I can't be on the list. So I'm like looking through my emails and the email from the route came up, but it was the newsletter. It wasn't like a formal announcement. And so I looked at it. She said, you're number 42. 
I said, I'm top 50. And I was like, no, that's not right. And then I go down and I said, oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, that's all I could say yeah. in that moment. And I remember I was actually, when she when I got the text, I was at Naming Faces here in Jackson getting some fish. They have the best fish. Um, and I got it and I was sitting there and I was reading it. And I was like, oh my God. And I just started crying. I instantly started crying when I saw it. And it was because of what they said, right, yeah. about the work. Um, and that was a really emotional moment for me because I didn't think about it. I never thought of myself in that way. I just thought of myself as a contributor to the work, right? Right. And here I am getting this national honor, and it's it was amazing. I mean, I, you know, like I said, just visiting with you for a few minutes, you're not mm -hmm. the kind of person that woke up one day when you were eight years old and said, I'm going to be on the Route 100. No, I had no idea You know, because, I mean, you, you don't do it for that reason. <laughs> no, you don't. Right. You don't do it for uh, the fame. You don't do it for any of the accolades. You do it because it is necessary, right? In a place, when, when you're from a place where, you, we know the struggles of Mississippi. You know, mm -hmm. I'm Mississippi, born, bred, and fed. I love this place with all of me. And I love the people of this place with all of me. And so when something as catastrophic as a fail in a in a vital source of life, like right. water, yeah. for people, it's something unimaginable. unimaginable. When I was um, in college, uh, I'm a, a member of a sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. And I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm very to, proud of yeah, Delta okay. Sigma Theta. Oh, that's fine. You're welcome <laughs> very, to say that. Very proud of, of, okay. of my sorority. Um, but when I was a student at Tougaloo, one of the campaigns that I led for the sorority was one of our international uh, campaigns around water, building yeah. wells in West Africa. I know it. And then this full circle moment where you're now fighting for water right here in your home state, right? We took buckets. Isn't that insane? Because I literally insane. did a cartoon where the mission trip where they were going to leave and dig wells and everything, and mm -hmm. they just went to ride around the parking lot. You know, it's, it's like, it's here. It's, it's here. This, this is the, you know, West Africa moment here, yeah. right? This is, this is what we're talking about. And it's so um, it's so interesting that this is impacting us here in Jackson, in our capital city, where there's so much, so many uh, uh, other areas are flourishing around us, but yet the heart of of Mississippi is suffering, and we can't get the resources we need because of like political deadlocks and folks playing politics with people's lives. That to me is a disservice, and it's also um, it's. It's so deeply rooted in inhumanity that it's almost unexplainable. So the good news is, of course, obviously mm -hmm. there is money now that's come in. Yes. Uh, we've got an administrator. It seems like maybe a little bit of light in the darkness. Yeah, I'm really hopeful for it. Uh, yeah. I think this is the right approach. I think we're taking the right approaches. Now, there are many things that could be improved oh, sure. throughout the pro process, right? But that's anything. And I think the thing that is the hardest to do is ask people for their continuance continued patience as we work through right, it. Right, when you turn on your faucet and, you know, gloop comes out of it. Yeah, yeah. you know, that that's that's the hard part. Yeah. But I think uh, the thing that I'm most optimistic about is that leaders are willing to come yeah. together to work together on this. And my hope is that we can maintain people keeping their partisan politics to the side until we can provide this very vital resource back to the people here in Jackson. You're talking about 180,000 people who don't, who can't 
go and rely on their water source. You're talking about children who aren't able to, you know, get the resources that they need. People who are sick who can't take their medicines and trust the water supply without having been supplied bottles of water. We're talking about an environmental crisis um, on multiple fronts, not just, you know, the fact that we're not getting the type of water resource that we need, clean, safe, reliable water that we need. But we're also talking about the impacts that this is having on the environment overall, our planet. And so we have so many challenges that we are looking at as we navigate this water crisis. And, uh, you know, I'm just really excited and I'm very grateful to the folks who have seen that this is what we need. Like they're putting the money here. They're giving us the capacity that we need. In Mississippi, we struggle with that. We struggle Mm -hmm. with capacity because you do have a brain drain here. There are people who are extremely qualified and people who are very knowledgeable, but it's not enough. We need more people who are willing to stay here, put their talent, their resources, and their time back into this community. Great guests today. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. Thank you for listening. Uh, And we're back with Southern Poverty Law Center Mississippi Director and the 2022 The Route 100 Honoree Joaquin Clinton. I, I don't want to say, hang on, number 42 ahead of Jennifer Hudson, Rihanna, which, by the way, I, I, I knew Rihanna, but I did not know her last name. I feel so culturally stupid. Same. It's like Madonna. I don't even, does she have a last name? No. no. Go figure. Just like Beyonce. It's yeah. Fenty. It's Fenty. No, like, I, I know that oh, now. Yeah, I have, okay. you know, I, that's what I say. I I'm learned, a Rihanna fan. I learned something, know. and I knew that more about pickleball than you too. So just to let you know that. Yeah, you so, did. You did. Um, LeBron, James, which I do know that one. But but so you're going to become a one name person here soon too, right? That's your goal? Well, no. My goal is just keep doing the work. Okay. Uh, I'm and, my na- her. and my name is going to remain the same. Okay. <laughs> well, you are from Canton, Mississippi. I am. Um, that's incredibly cool. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait. We're going to dive into the origin story here a little bit. Unlike most superhero movies, we're going to start with the origin story toward the end of the show. Okay. okay, so you get named this, the Route 100 on this. You find out via a friend telling yeah. you, which I wouldn't trust my friends enough. Like I said, I would be like, yeah, whatever. And then you have to Google yourself to find out. Yeah. So you find that out. Now, did you get to go to a big party or anything with this? Oh, yeah. So okay. um, I actually, what, they, we actually went to um, New York. Uh-huh. The uh, ceremony was held at the historic Apollo Theater in Harlem. No way. It was. Okay. I, that was a big moment for me, too, because I've been to the Apollo, but not ever been in the Apollo, right? right? And so to go inside and walk the footsteps of Harry Balafonte and, like, Aretha Franklin and all these incredible people, and then uh, not only be able to attend that event, but, but then be able to represent uh, Mississippi yeah. on that stage— uh, it was remarkable. Like it was, I, I was in a state of disbelief, um, but also felt like this was the stage that we needed and yeah. that it was the stage that we deserved because people have this really obscure view of Mississippi and the people who are here. And so to be able to take that moment and then just tell it like it was, right, uh, right? and call a thing a thing, um, it was really important, and I feel like that was what this was for. Like, that's what that honor was for for me, was to make sure that people understood what we were dealing with here in Mississippi and how it goes beyond just the water crisis, right? We're talking about issues of voter suppression. We're talking about issues of mass incarceration and systemic racism and, and uh, a system that won't expand Medicaid and Medicare for people here in one of the— um, 
you know, uh, most health health challenged places in the country, right, in the world in a lot of instances. And so for me, that was really important for people to know that it's not just a a singular issue that we're dealing with here in Mississippi. Like Jackson, this word of crisis has given us a platform to elevate all the issues that we're dealing with and to call some action to those issues as well. So you're on this, you're literally into quote Hamilton in the room where it's happening, right? Yeah. So you're, mm-hmm. you're there with people that have all kinds of yank and everything else. We are sitting there airdropping contacts the whole time. <laughs> I'm in the phone. I mean, seriously, what were some of some of the people that you met and made contacts with? And because that has to be the true value of the award. Yeah. Well, there were quite a few people who were there and present in the room who wanted to know more about what we were doing here in Mississippi and how yeah. they could help. Uh, a lot of the like the owner of the route was very interested in really? what we were doing here. Yeah. Um, some of the executives at Humana Health Services and other places were interested in the work that we're doing here in Mississippi yeah. and how they could help um, and the fact that they have have interest here. And so we actually have some meetings that we're going to follow up and talk to them about some of the work that we're doing and how they can be helpful um, to providing better a better quality of life for folks here in the Magnolia State. So that's what we were really, uh, that was really the goal. You know, I, I spoke to some heads uh, at Google and some other places and just to really like let them know that this work is going to require all of us and it does take a public private um, interest in, right. in order to improve the, the quality of life that we're experiencing here in Mississippi. So, Well, it sounds like you made the most of the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know. I just, like I said, I can't get over some of the, li- but I mean, you know, you had Serena Williams, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams, somebody else who's been in, in mm-hmm. you know, out there getting up. Some, and she and, has Mississippi roots too. Yeah, so that was really that's great. True. Yeah. That's true. From mm-hmm. the coast, right? Yeah, her yeah. parents are from. I think yeah, they're from the coast. Yeah, yeah. uh huh. And I think they went to Tougaloo as oh, well. Did they really? Yeah, their parents. Her parents went to Tougaloo. I think. As oh well. wow! Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. A moment. I saw you smile with pride. I did. I love my school. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. There's a lot of love about Tougaloo, no yeah, doubt. Absolutely. So, and of course, you had, of course, Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris. So you had some political people there too. Absolutely. I think. Recognizing that I was in the same category with Michelle Obama, and she's number one, and I'm like number 42, that for me was just like, wow. And, you know, I have had the the privilege of meeting her um, in in the past as well, but just to share that same space. Sure. And and that was really, really special as well. Just on the ceremony and everything, did you have an opportunity to actually, I mean, were you all standing there and they called out your name and you got the certificate or how how did that work? So out of the 100 people who were listed, only four got to speak. And I wow. was one of those four. What? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's back up. That, uh, now we are bearing the lead. Out yeah. of 100 people, you were one of the four. How one did four. you get to be one of the four people? Well, you know, they asked me if I could be in New York to speak. And I said, yes. And we got there. I think it was a maybe, ooh, it was like a week turnaround from getting the notification and then planning to be in New York yeah. and to be on that stage. So, yeah, it was a, it was a uh, very quick process, but it was one that, you know, you, when you're, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready kind of thing. That's, <laughs> you a, know? that's a James Brownism right <laughs> that's there. Right. That's right. When you get up on the stage, <laughs> you be prepared. You got to be prepared. And, you know, uh, it was just, it was just an honor to yeah. be there. I mean, Vice President Harris spoke um, via the, um, she, she uh, sent a video message. Uh, Chloe Bailey spoke. Okay. Quest Love spoke. And then I spoke. And so, um, and then we had two other, like, on. Un- speak to uh, as well. So that was good. They were they received awards. So I mean, like rewards for um, the work that they were doing. So sure. like a, a grant. Um, so that was, you know, that was really, um, I think, one of those 
very significant moments as well where you recognize like you are, you know, this is top tier. You know, you're one of, you know, a hundred people, you know, one of four people who get to speak in this space. And so you got to maximize that space and make sure you uh, let people know how important, but also how personal this right. was that's right. uh, for you. And so that that's what this that's what my speech was about. It was about how this is really personal for me. See, I think that's probably the most important thing in the world um, when you're talking about something that is big as some of the issues that you're talking about to bring it down on a macro, a micro level, mm-hmm. on the individual level, because people will always relate to stories yeah. because that could be their grandmother or that could be their sister or that could be that could be their family member or whatever. And, they, they, you know, instead of just throwing out and you were able to do that. Let me ask you too, because you've probably spoken a million and a half times in your life. You obviously are not shy. (laughs) Okay. That is not a problem for you. That had to be terrifying. You know what? It was the Marshall. And I promise you, I am probably one of the most humble people. Like I spoke at the women's March of 2017, you know, that's 10,000 people. But this was a moment of pride for me. Right. I remember one of my friends who, who had come up from DC, um, joined me at the event and she said, are you nervous? I said, no, no, I'm not. And I think it's because to your point, like it was so personal. I understood the severity of the moment and yeah. the gravity of the moment. And it was important to make sure people understood that not only does the South have something to say, but the people of Mississippi have something to say yeah. and that people need to understand that. And they needed to understand that our issues are also their issues. When you talk about issues of a woman's bodily autonomy or you talk about the issues of, you know, being able to love who you want to love or live where you want to live because redlining is still a thing. People don't talk about it, but it is, right? You know, when you talk about all of these things, right, that are, you know, contribute to the fabric of who we are here in this Mm -hmm. nation, it is important for people to understand that we are the United States of America, which means if something happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. And we have to take more ownership and responsibility in that. Actually, I mean, a true example of that was the water crisis. Absolutely. Because it affected everybody in the city of Jackson. Obviously, mm-hmm. some people got affected a lot worse mm-hmm. because they didn't necessarily have the means to be able to go out and buy water, do whatever. But mm-hmm. still, I mean, it affected business owners. It affected kids. It, it affected. Yeah. It did not matter. It didn't matter. Even if you didn't live in Jackson, but you own a business in Jackson, it affected you. Or it's still affecting you. It's still affecting you. People who didn't live in Jackson, who worked in Jackson, who couldn't go to work. You know, we have a huge service industry here. People rely on folks being able to go to work so that they can come in here and eat. That was not happening for almost 90 days, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about that, we talk about the economic impact of that and what that means for our, our whole state, People across this region, we have we have a real responsibility, and so that's why it was important for folks to put their pol- political, you know, ambitions and differences to the side to make sure you were servicing people because that's the whole role of government is to pr- protect and provide for its people, and we had a responsibility in that. Well, that's the thing, and you've been, of course, on the federal level working with mm-hmm. with Congressman Thompson, but I mean, when a lot of people think of government, they always think of well, the government. You know, they mm-hmm. think of about what they watch on cable news or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, government is, you know, the potholes. It is the water pipes. Local it is, government is, it, is your most important government is. of all of them. That's right. Right? Like, it really is. Local 
local state government, that's where the lifeblood is. That's where everything that you need to fix your day-to-day happens. The federal government just makes sure the money get here, Yeah. right? That's their job. Their job is to figure out the policy that can service as many people as it possibly can and make sure that the states have the resources that they need to be able to do the work. And the states have an obligation to make sure that when those resources hit, that it hits the communities that need it most. Yeah. It should not be disproportionately allocated. You have to look at the needs of all of your people, right? And don't get in the business of picking winners and losers. Get in the business of servicing people. And that's where we need to be in Mississippi. So it's about policy more than it is politics. It is about the policy. It yeah. is always about the policy. What is yeah. in black and white, which is why it's so important to make sure that we as individuals, as citizens, right, are tuned into what's happening at every level of our government, not just what happens in D.C. That's the last stop. That's the chandelier. You know, I have this yeah. theory about, you know, how things really work. And we always get caught up in the chandelier, the bright, shiny object, right? No one focuses on the switch that actually sends the current up to, to, to illuminate the chandelier. No one focuses on the wiring, right, that actually has to be properly placed in order for that, cur- that current to even take place. No one focuses on that. They always focus on the bright, shiny thing. Well, when it comes down to water, potholes, infrastructure, you know, allocation, school resources, uh, learning materials, healthcare, all of that stuff, that's the wiring. Yeah. And so we got to make sure that the policy is right. You know, I'm going to ask you this question, but I think you just answered it. So basically, talk a little bit about your role as the director of the Southern Poverty Law Center of Mississippi and your passion for the position. But I think <laughs> I think you just covered that, to be honest with you. Well, you know, you know, as state director, my job is to make sure all of the things work together. Yeah. Right. To really look at how we view and operate within integrated advocacy. And mm-hmm. that looks like legal. That looks like communications. That looks like policy. It looks like organizing. It looks like all of those things working together in yeah. tandem to make sure that we're getting the types of goals that we need for people every day here in Mississippi. When you look at a state like Mississippi where we have one of the largest, like almost 20 percent of our people here live in poverty, mm-hmm. right? A third of those people are children, Right. These are children who don't have clean water, who don't have food, who don't have resources. Right. Just to thrive. That is a problem. And we can't say that we, you know, we care and we value children and all of these things if we don't make sure that their home infrastructure is solid so that they can come to school well rested, rev fed, well fed and ready to do the work. Right. We have to make sure when we think about building a pipeline, we're thinking about everything that goes to make that pipeline possible. Right. To make sure that we have the strongest, the best, the brightest students like our children are our future. Like people have said it, but that's the the fact of the matter is we are all aging every single day. And so we have a responsibility to make sure that for yourself there. Well, I age like wine. I get finer with time, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in the in that same vein, you know, I think it's it's really important yeah. that we look at the future of Mississippi yeah. and look to the children and making sure that they have what they need from educational resources to you know um, economic stability. Right. For their households. Right. You always look at the parent and blame the parent. But some of these things are systemic. The challenges we're dealing with are systemic because we in Mississippi have gotten in the business of picking winners and losers. And that's not what we should be doing. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's not necessarily that there is a problem. It's how we should solve it. Maybe that's where the argument should be. Yeah, it's, it's I think, really I think about that's how, we, how we solve it. Yeah. A few years ago, they had a TED talk and I was asked to speak. And I think the topic was how to change Jackson in 200 years. And I kind of got up there and said, I don't have any 
answer for you because I'll be dead. <laughs> but I can change the life of somebody, and then they can change the life of somebody after them and after mm-hmm. them and after them. And that's how you change Jackson yeah. and Mississippi in 200 years. Yeah, and right? that's pipeline. Yeah. That's exactly right. I like that pipeline. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I hope it doesn't break because of Yazoo clay or well, cold water. The thing about Mississippians in the in the soil itself is that it's resilient. Even if it shifts, it still it can still oh, hold. Yeah. It does right? shift. It shifts, but it holds. It holds. So. <laughs> I like that. I like that a little bit. How did you how did you end up with the job? You know what? That job came to me three times. I'm gonna be honest with really? you. Really? It did. And you denied it three times. I, I think just, I remember I, that I in d- the good book. I just, I denied it twice. And okay. the third time I said, Okay, God, you're trying to tell me something. Okay. Um and the reason was because I wasn't I, it wasn't that I wasn't sure I could do it, because anything that I put my mind to, I, I obviously can do it. But, you know, I was really concerned about whether or not. Can you play pickleball? No, because I don't know what pickleball is. You got to teach me. You okay. got to tell me. Okay. Um, but, you know, I took the job. When I, when I, the job came to me three times. It came to me uh, twice through two friends, two separate yeah. friends. And one of my friends said, you need to apply for this job now if you serious about coming back home because I've been talking about coming back home for like uh, and I mean come back home full time for like maybe two or three years really and uh, my friend who called me the second time he said if you're really serious about this like it come back home you should look at this like and it's a it's gonna be it's a new opportunity we doing some like expansion and you know they're trying to do this and another and I was like okay I'll take a look at it so then I'm reading the job description I was like oh god this is like gonna and I was like, but you know what? Crazy can be good. And I took it. I mean, I, I, I applied for it. I interviewed with the president and CEO, Margaret Wong, and the chief of staff, Alicia Brooks. And then I met with the staff, right? We were in a period of transition. So there were a lot of questions about what this would be, right, mm-hmm. and what it would look like. And I was, you know, very comfortable ex- uh, answering those questions and really honest about, you know, it's going to take some time for us to figure out what really works and how it's going to work together. I'm going to be honest with y'all about it. I don't have all the answers. Um, but it's worked. Like, yeah. we we have come in. We did the hard work of, one, understanding the environment and the people in the environment, in the environment and what they had done and what they were looking to do. And also being able to say, we can use all of this talent. We can put it in the right place and it'll work in the right way. And that's what we've been able to do over the last year and uh, several months, you know. Um, and I've been very, very proud of that. You know, we have some incredible people here at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, I love the way in which we work together because we work together on behalf of the people here in Mississippi. And that's what really works. That, that's why we do the work. Uh, and we've also been able to do this work in deep coalition with our partners. Like, there are some incredible organizations right here in Mississippi who are being doing this work around the clock and we're running you know we do it's so much to do right and that capacity is just a challenge which is why we've committed ourselves to helping out in that front and we developed the uh, SPLC Advocacy Institute where we are training folks in communities across this state to do the work locally Mm. right to build capacity in eco chambers locally so that when there's something happening in Natchez you got a group of people who hop right into it, right? You don't have to call 20 people from Jackson to try to drive, you know, two hours down to Natchez when you can be working right there with the people in Natchez, training them 
giving them the tools that they need, equipping them with the knowledge that they need in order to be able to effectuate change at home. That's the model. That's the work. Um, And to be able to do that in strategic partnership with organizations who have different skill sets or additional uh, skill sets that can help add to that is is what we've been called to do in this moment. So that's what we're we're dedicating ourselves to doing. You know, um, your your dad has to be the proudest man in Canton, Mississippi by far. I believe you're right. I believe yeah. he is the proudest man in Canton, Mississippi. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you were a girl, and I, like I said, when I was eight, I walked up to my dad and I said, I'm going to be an editorial cartoonist, which was a very weird thing for an eight-year-old to say uh-huh. to his dad. When you were eight years old, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? When I was eight, uh, I thought I was going to be a meteorologist. Really? Yeah. You love the weather, huh? I love the weather. I particularly uh, love night weather, like just like looking at the the stars and the clouds. I was a big cloud fan. Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite kind of cloud? uh, You know what? I love them all. I really do. I think that it's something fascinating about just looking at the shape that they take and what they do and what they possess. So I I love them all. Um, But I thought I was going to be a meteorologist probably at eight. And then about 12, I decided I didn't want to do that. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. And so uh, I wanted to be a dentist more specifically. And when I went to Tougaloo, that's what I studied. I wanted to be. Did you really? I did. I did. I was a, a biology major for two years. I'd done mid-corps and all these things. Like So mid-corps, you get to like shadow different doctors. And okay. so I had shadowed a dentist. I had shadowed an optometrist. And I shadowed one other doctor. I can't remember. Um, but, and I just, I just knew I was going to be a dentist. And then when I went back to school, like that junior year after that summer, and I had a professor that just really made me not want to be going to medicine anymore. It was so, she was so different. Her name was Dr. Genevina Chinchar. I'll never forget her. Um, but you know, we just didn't, we just couldn't, we couldn't set horses very well. But I also battled with this duality of like this advocacy yeah. Bug, bug I always had. I was like president of the NAACP. You know, I was in uh, all of these other like civic engage, engaged groups. And uh, I also really love debate. And so like that was something else. I've always been a talker, as you can tell. Um, got in a lot of trouble for talking, right? Got put out of class for talking. I mean, I've just always been a talker. Um, but that led me to like that interaction with um, my professor and also it really really wasn't that professor it was the dean the dean actually did not want to let me out really? of the national science division uh, Dr. M- Richard McGinnis was the dean of natural science at Tougaloo at the time and I had to go sit at Dr. Uh, Dr. McGinnis's office for three weeks before he would sign off on me because you can't just transfer out of a subject you uh, especially out of a discipline you have to get the chair to sign off he was like no you're going to go back to class you're going to go back to class I was like but Dr. McGinnis, I don't want to do it, right? I don't. I want to do something else. And so my mom and I had this big debate because she, my dad has always wanted me to be a lawyer. He still holds hope today that I become a lawyer. So <laughs> working at SPLC for him is like, I almost got her, you know, because he wins very few battles in our house. <laughs> in our household. But he, like that one, he's holding on faith for. My mom, when I told her I wasn't going to be a dentist, she was like, well, you're going to have to be a nurse then. That's what you're going to do. And I was like... I'm not going to be a nurse either. So uh, the debate at the time was that I would 
be I wanted to really be a psychiatrist. Like, really? Yeah, I really wanted to huh. go into psychiatry, and she was adamantly against it. Why? Like, she said, "No, those people are like this, these are her words now." Okay. She said, "These people are crazy, and you you gonna get in a situation that these people they following you." No, she she was a big lifetime person. So you know, I'm about to life, say you watching, yeah. <laughs> lifetime moving network. So she just did. She didn't want me to be harmed, right? To be dealing with people who could potentially harm me, and um, so I was like. Okay, let's make a compromise. I still want to be in a position because for me, it's always been about helping people. Whether you it's like the be people, a, yeah. yeah. Whether I was going to be a dentist or you know whatever, I just wanted to be in a position where I was going to help people. And so uh, the the compromise because she didn't want me to take up psychology. Uh, the compromise was sociology. Had the ology at the end. Yeah, it has the ology at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like meteorology, yeah. ology. It's yeah. an ology. Yeah. It's a study of something, right? And so I chose sociology, and I got my emphasis in pre-law. So okay. I did the pre-law discipline to satisfy my daddy, yeah. to give him some, keep his hope, and then I did sociology to satisfy me and my need to be there, to understand people, to be in community and culture with people. So sociology and anthropology were really important for me uh, at the time, but then there was always that bug you know you got to be in the policy part of it so i was just been it's kind of hard to go to glue and not get into that yeah it's a it's to because the history yeah it's 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 the breeding ground for social change in america not just in mississippi and so when you look at the history of the organization i tell people all the time you don't go to to glue to glue calls you and you answer yeah. That's how it is. The hollow when you step foot on those grounds, you're gonna know whether or not you are going to be at Tugaloo or not, right? It's a love instantly that you form with that campus. And that's what it was for me, you know? And uh the fact that it allows you to be able to explore these various disciplines, like we're a liberal arts school, so you know, yeah. we can do a little bit of everything and that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on. But it also breeds you, it gives you so much opportunity to kind of explore that your calling in various ways. And so from being so I was founding member of Phi Alpha Delta on campus. Um, you know, I did pre-law society, me Anderson pre-law society. I'm a public policy fellow now, Eric Holder, public policy fellow at Tugaloo now. So, you know, it's all of these things that help breed you for these opportunities. And at Tugaloo, um, particularly when when I was doing my course study, it was the law and the policies that were connected to it for me. They kind of gave me that bite, that, that um that zeal to want to go ahead and explore it a little bit more. And so when I graduated, like most people at the time, you're still trying to figure out what you want to do. Uh, I remember this so fondly. I was working at FedEx Kinko's on Caneline Road. And, uh, you know, we're getting ready for graduation. And, you know, you're just trying to, you know, I'm taking the GRE. I'm taking the LSAT because, you know, law is still a possibility for me. Um, and there was an alum who walked into FedEx Kinko's, and she had on her Tougaloo alum uh, sweatshirt. Her name is Miss Carolyn Price. She died a couple of years ago, but she was just amazing. Um, she said, I said, oh, you went to Tougaloo? You know, it's always a conversation with HBCU. You know, we got to get in the fam. And so we're talking, and she was like, have you ever done any internships? I was like, yes, ma'am. You know, I interned for uh, Attorney Graves. I did, uh, you know, Attorney Bird, et cetera. She says, well, have you ever done anything outside of the state? And I said, no, ma'am. And she says, well, I have a friend in Washington. Do you know him? His name is Congressman Benny Thompson. And I was like, Yes, ma'am. I do know him. And she was like, uh, well, I'm going to reach out to them. You know, I think you should intern out of the state before you decide what you're going to do. Wow. 
I said, okay. And so I got a call from the congressman's office like maybe three days later from Lanier Avant, who was yeah. the chief of staff at the yeah. time. And, you know, Lanier was like, well, send me your, well, she asked, well, Miss Price asked me for my resume first. I gave it to her because I had like a jump drive around my neck and I was working at FedEx Kinko, so I could get you a resume. Exactly. <laughs> so I printed off her resume and then three days later I got the call from the congressman's office, talked to Lanier and he was asking me about my resume. He's like, well, I see you've done all this work here for Barbara Brackman and you did all this. I don't see anything for Congressman Thompson. I said, well, I've never been asked. You know, I was always, I was always, I always been sassy now. So, <laughs> so, you know, um, but you know, it sparked a really great conversation. He sent me an internship application for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's summer internship program. Mm-hmm. I did that program. Um, and, I mean, I got accepted to the program, did the program, and then um, to, like when Lanier picked me up from the airport, because, you know, the congressman's office give you full hospitality. So he picked me up from the airport, and he asked me, well, what's your goals while you're here? I said to leave here with a job. Because <laughs> <laughs> I graduated already, right? Yeah. And I, I knew that coming to D.C. is like one of those things you read about, right? You see the Capitol in your, your history book, but you don't think you're going to, like, work at the Capitol. You know, like, come from—I just didn't think that. And then to then go into that office and walk those halls, and you're looking up, and you're in the rotunda, and you're like, I'm in the history book. Like, the, I'm yeah. in the book, you know? And it was just a surreal moment for me. And so that's kind of, you know— I didn't talk so much. I didn't. Got, I forgot the question, Ramsey. What was the question? No, just. <laughs> I mean, we're just kind of going through your education. Yeah, but my the, the golden thread of, of your trajectory is like you've always had somebody that stepped up, almost like an angel, yeah. in funny clothings, to be able to to help to push help you in a good path. direction. Yeah. You know, my prayer has always been to the Lord to order my steps. Yeah. Right. I remember now that you know after being in the congressman's office and then, you know, being um, the internship ending and then being called back to D.C. two weeks after I came, moved back home, that was a surreal moment. But one of the the pictures that hung in every apartment, uh, well, yeah, every apartment that I had was this picture of this lady walking out on faith and she's blinded, right? Mm-hmm. And it was so, it, that picture speaks to me so directly because my prayer has always been to the Lord to order my steps. I never wanted to be out of step with the Lord, right, yeah. in his will for me. Uh, because it's a lot. You know, it could be a lot when you're trying to manage it and you don't necessarily know where to go, but you know he knows where you need to go. And so for me, that's always been my prayer. He's led me every step of the way. So even coming back home, that was the prayer. Like, Lord, I want to be in a place where I do the most good and I feel my best doing it. I had opportunities to go work at the White House and all these other things. That was never my goal, right? Like, I didn't go to the DNC to go work at the White House. Unfortunately, I went to the DNC to make sure that I was doing my part to change the world. And so that's what I did. So, how can folks get in touch with you? Um, they can always email me. <laughs> yeah. They can email advocacy at splccenter.org. That's where um, they can reach me directly about anything that we're mm-hmm. doing on the advocacy front. If they want to follow me on Twitter, they can too, at WJS Clanton. I don't tweet much now that it, Twitter has all of these other rules, but I, I do uh, check it frequently. Um, and then LinkedIn, of course, that's another great way to reach me. But they can always reach me at the Southern Poverty Law Center. That's We're great. We yeah. had This has been fun today. Yeah, it's been so fun. Really glad you came in. And what a great Thank way to start off me. a new year. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. It was so fun. Thank so, you so in seven me. seconds, what's your resolution for this year? My resolution for this year is to continue to do my best for things that call me to do 
the most good. That's a perfect one. All right. We want to thank you for listening and thank our guest, Southern Poverty Law Center, Mississippi Director Wakenya Clinton, for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, you can listen on our podcast or on your favorite podcast app or on the MPB Public Media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. is produced by the incredible Jermaine Flood. Hey, stay tuned for Southern Remedy and join us next week at 10 a.m. for another great conversation right here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.